Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Ah! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Championship for Notre Dame! Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame, 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTradio.com. The free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now, here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner, Darren Pritchett. Good afternoon, everyone. On this Martin Luther King Jr. birthday, holiday, your Monday, January the 16th of 2023. My name is Darren Pritchett. Great to have you with me on 960 AM WSBT, streaming live at WSBTradio.com. On the free WSBT radio app, which you can acquire right now by going to the iTunes or Google Play stores and searching WSBT Radio. Also available on Twitch right now. Video feed is rolling. The Twitch app is also free. Just search Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Hope you had a terrific weekend. And we are settling in for two hours of sports talk here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Just watched a Very entertaining Big Ten basketball game that wrapped up in East Lansing a couple of moments ago. And Matt Painter's Purdue Boilermakers pick up a very important road win over the Michigan State Spartans, 64-63. Zach Eady was the dominant player in this game, 32 points, 17 rebounds. Eady connected on a field goal in the paint with two seconds left to put the Boilermakers up by one. Michigan State got a shot away in the final second, a long-range three that came up well short, and Purdue moves to 6-1 and one in the Big Ten with the 64-63 win over Michigan State. We're going to talk some Big Ten basketball coming up in the 6 o'clock hour. Also on tonight's program in the 6 o'clock hour, a look back at another Notre Dame basketball loss 
They fall to Syracuse on Saturday, 78-73, despite leading a majority of the contest. Our My 5 question of the day, who are the top five assistant coaches on Notre Dame head coach Marcus Freeman's staff? Also, we'll have a Sizzler segment, and I posted on Twitter earlier today to make it official, but one Sizzler pick is already in the books. I took Michigan State plus four against Purdue, so we'll take a victory on that one. We'll have the rest of my Sizzler picks coming up in the 6 o'clock hour. In this hour of the program, after our hat trick of topics to get the program started, I want to talk about former Notre Dame star Trey Mancini signing with the Chicago Cubs. We'll do that at 5.30. We've got our Twitter question of the day. I had a weekend question that I posted in regard to Notre Dame basketball. And today's question centers around you either love them or dislike them. The Dallas Cowboys, and they're taking on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers tonight. And the final super NFL wildcard matchup. The weekend has been extremely entertaining outside of that Niners-Seahawks game, which kicked off the slate. Could we have another barn burner tonight? We have the ball game right here on WSBT Radio, Westwood One's coverage. We'll get started at 7.30, kickoff right around 8.15. Cowboys and Buccaneers, America's team, allegedly America's team, taking on the GOAT, Tom Brady, and the Buccaneers down in Tampa. So we have that coming up over the next two hours here on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. The first pitch of the first pitch of the night. And we are ready for the first pitch. Into the windup in his first offering. Just a bit outside. He tried the corner and missed. And away we go with our first of three hat trick topics to start tonight's program. We start with the National Football League. A lot of playoff action on WSBT Radio the last couple of days. As I mentioned, outside of the first game, the 49ers pulled away in the second half from the Seahawks to move on to the divisional round where they will await the winner of tonight's game between the Cowboys and the Buccaneers. Otherwise, We had some good stuff to watch, including on Saturday, down in Duval, the Chargers taking on the AFC South champion, Jacksonville Jaguars. Boy, oh boy, it looked like it was going to be a rout. The Chargers taking advantage of mistake after mistake, building a 27 to nothing lead over Jacksonville. But as one famous Yankee said, it ain't over till it's over. As you heard on WSBT Radio, the audio courtesy of Westwood One. Take the handoff. The pass is deflected and intercepted by Tranquil. Tranquil in the right spot. Lawrence in the pocket. Step and throw. Threads the needle. It's a battle for it. And Samuel's got it. Intercepted. Asante Samuel. Fourth pick of the evening for Trevor Lawrence. Lawrence drifts back, throws, end zone, near side, hauled in, Christian Kirk, touchdown, Jacksonville. And the Jaguars inch closer, 30-26 to 26 with 5.25 on the clock. Jacksonville was down 27 to nothing. And here we go. Man. 
Matisic, the snapper. Cook, the holder. Patterson sweeps the leg. 36-yard attempt. It is good! <laughs> Jacksonville wins it! Unbelievable. 27-0 down. Jaguars win 31-30 over the L.A. Chargers. The first six drives of the ball game. Trevor Lawrence, number one overall pick in the draft two years ago out of Clemson, throws four interceptions. The last six drives of the ball game, Trevor Lawrence threw four touchdown passes, converted a two-point conversion, and set up the game-winning field goal. A shocker, a massive, massive comeback. Jaguars beat the Chargers 31-30. Staley, the head coach of the Chargers, he has a job next year. A lot of questions about the way he handles a lot of game decisions, blowing a 27-0 lead hurts. Here's the part that's really stunning. I know you have Justin Herbert at quarterback, great arm talent, but once the Chargers build a 27-0 lead, they ran the ball eight times. That's not a good formula for closing out an opponent, in particular on the road. Next up in our look back at the NFL Wild Card Weekend, the Buffalo Bills taking on the Miami Dolphins. Miami had to start their third-string quarterback, Skylar Thompson. And it did not look good early as the Bills opened up a 17-0 lead. But what do you know? Turnovers can change the complexion of a game. The Dolphins would actually grab the lead in the third quarter. And the game was on from there. Diggs is off to the right. Two receivers left on first down for the 13. They hand it off to Cook. Running left. He's got his man beat. Outside the numbers to the five. Toward the end zone. Spins in. Touchdown, Buffalo. 13-0 with 5.07 to play here in the first quarter. Allen under pressure. He is hit, and he fumbled the ball. It's loose inside the 10. Squirts toward the five. Picked up by the Dolphins. Into the end zone. It's Sealer. And the Dolphins take the lead. Play clock is down to five. Trips to the right side. Allen out of the gun, looking to throw again. Throws toward the end zone. He's got Gabe Davis along the sidelines. Touchdown, Bills. 23 yards. He beat Eric Rowe. And boy, oh boy, did Josh Allen drop that on a dime. 33-24, Buffalo. There are no moral victories in the postseason, but the Dolphins with their third-string quarterback, almost pulled off a huge upset. But the Bills, experienced group, been in tough spots before, persevered and got out of town with a victory. And that's all you want in the postseason, just win and move on to the next round. Style points don't matter. You are concerned about the three turnovers that changed the way the game was unfolding. One of the three not on Josh Allen. The Bills quarterback threw a strike to Cole Beasley, who bobbled it, and it was picked off. The deep throw that was picked off, that's on Allen. He was under pressure, couldn't maintain the football when he was sacked on the first play. The Bills had in the third quarter, scooped up for a touchdown by Miami. That's when the Dolphins had the lead, but credit to Buffalo. They win 34-31. to Next up, Sunday, Giants and Vikings. Wildcard weekend in the past, it's been known for upsets. 
pretty chalky so far until we get to this Viking team that's kind of the fraudulent team in the postseason. The number three seed in the NFC, they were 11-0 in the regular season in one-possession games. One of those victories over the Giants in Minneapolis by a field goal on the last play of the game. The two met again in Minneapolis, and there was quite a bit of offense early on in this ballgame. And you know what? I think the Giants, after a lot of doubt, they may have found their franchise quarterback, Daniel Jones. Late in the first, 14 of the Vikings, empty backfield, left tackle move, no flag, here's a throw in the end zone, caught! Line drive, throw in the middle, it's caught for a touchdown. Hodgins got it over the shoulder, underneath the crossbar. A 14-yard laser thrown by quarterback Daniel Jones, and the Giants have taken their first lead, 13-7. Here they go again, now they're at the two, and it's first and goal. Two tight ends, Jones on the center, got the snap, hands to Barkley, tries to submarine his way, he goes through! It's a touchdown running over the guard! He knifes his way for a giant touchdown! Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, Spark that Giants offense. They knock off the Vikings in Minneapolis. Great victory for the Giants, 31-24. How about the job Brian Dable has done? He helped grow Josh Allen in Buffalo. And look what he has done with Daniel Jones, a player that the Giants didn't want to give that fifth-year option to before the season started. They were going to let it play out. Dayball hired his head coach, and he has turned Daniel Jones, I'm going to say this conservatively, a top 15 quarterback in the NFL. I'm going to be more aggressive and say probably likely on the back end of the top 10. His running ability, his accuracy, he's holding on to the football better than ever. Two of the best players on the Giants are free agents, Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones. I think... We know that Daniel Jones is going to be back. There's a lot of good free agents on the market at the running back position. They probably want to keep Barkley. But this is a giant team that has arrived early in this rebuild. And here they are going to Philadelphia. And I think the Eagles are awfully nervous taking on the Giants in the divisional round. Terrific victory by the G-Men on the road. And the fraudulent Vikings go home. Kirk Cousins on fourth and eight. Last chance to keep the season alive. He throws the ball, what, three, four yards downfield. Tackle made, season over. That takes away from a really good performance by Cousins. He takes a lot of heat for his play, not coming up big in big games. He was 31 of 39 in this game. That pass sours it. But the reason why the Vikings lost their defense stinks. They better buy some major deodorant in the offseason because they were bad coming down the stretch. And finally, last night here on WSBT Radio, AFC North matchup at a good one. The Baltimore Ravens with their second string quarterback taking on Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals. And I think it's fair to say in the playoff history of the Cincinnati Bengals, there aren't going to be too many plays remembered more by the final highlight you'll hear in this sequence. Burrow will line up with a shotgun. He's got Mixon to his left. Three receivers bunched right. Single man left. That's Hurst, the tight end. Burrow with the shotgun. 
Looks over the defense, hands in front of his chest, takes the snap, back to pass, looking left, looks middle, throws over the middle, caught by Chase, breaks a tackle, diving to the end zone, touchdown Bengals! A seven-yard touchdown throw to Jamar Chase, already with six catches in the game, and the Bengals lead 9-0 on the first play of the second quarter. Huntley is in the gun, Dobbins back in their lineup is right, here's the snap, Huntley back, pumps left, Got looks him. going deep left side for Robinson, makes the catch of the 10, down the sideline, into the end zone, touchdown Ravens, a pump and go down the left sideline to Demarcus Robinson, a 41-yard scoring strike, and the Ravens are within one. Huntley lines up under center, goes airborne, did he get the ball knocked out? He did! It's grabbed by the Bengals, racing back down the field. Sam Hubbard to the 50, down to the 40, he's at the 30, Hubbard to the 20, he's gonna go all the way! Touchdown Bengals! Touchdown Bengals! Sam Hubbard, the Ohio kid, pulls it out of the air and rumbles the length of the field. Touchdown Cincinnati, this place has gone nuts. Bengals lead 23-17, 11.39 to go. What a play. What a terrific call on Westwood One. Mike Tirico on NBC had a classic call as well. Love the excitement in the voices of the broadcasters. It's a big moment. Why not get excited? And that's why the NBC broadcasts are just dismal after Tirico left for Sunday Night Football. Great job by the radio and the TV calls. In that big moment, Hubbard, a Cincinnati kid, went to high school in Cincinnati, played at Ohio State, drafted by the Bengals. You talk about a big moment for the hometown kid. 98 yards, the longest fumble recovery for a touchdown in NFL playoff history. It belongs to the Bengals. Sam Hubbard and the Bengals beat the Ravens by 7 to move on to the divisional route. What a great weekend of football. We had a little bit of everything, and who knows what's in store tonight. Brady and the Bucks, Dak and the Cowboys down in Florida. Our second of three hat-trick topics to start tonight's program. Notre Dame basketball suffers another late-game loss at Syracuse. The Irish led for 26 minutes in this ballgame. They are up by double digits in the second half on a night in which they hit 15 three-pointers, a season high. And they still came up five points short, losing to the Orange, 78-73. 11.51 to go. It was Notre Dame 59, Syracuse 47. The final 11.51 of the game. The Orange outscored the Irish 31 to 14. Down the stretch, Notre Dame, old team, couldn't make the plays. It just blows your mind. This has just been a reoccurring story. In this game, 237 to go, Marcus Hammond hit a three-pointer. The Irish are up by two. You're thinking, all right, maybe they can do this. But then you had Mintz hit a jump shot about 24 seconds later. And also made one of two free throws to put Syracuse up 72-71 with 1.46 to go. Notre Dame had a shot clock violation. Back-to-back turnovers put Notre Dame in a tough spot. And then they missed four straight field goal attempts. Finally, Nate Leshevsky found the bottom of the net with seven seconds left on a layup. But 
too little too late. That pulled the Irish to within three. Syracuse wins 78-73. An extremely disappointing loss for Mike Bray's squad. Coach, just thoughts. You, you led for 26 minutes of that game, and they yeah. just kind of fought back at the very end. Just thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I'm just, I feel for our guys. You know, we made 15 threes. Um, you know, we had 21 assists. We were really good, but um, I think an area that hurts us is when we really have to defend to win a game and stick our chest in there. At least on the road, we haven't been able to do that. So, uh, um, disappointed because we played fearlessly. It's maybe the best zone offense we've ever run, um, but we did have some looks there, uh, really good ones. Dane, Nate, a couple, and we, we didn't make those the last six or seven minutes. So uh, credit, to, credit to Syracuse, tough kids. But also, besides those good looks, those back-to-back turnovers in the closing moments of the ball game, a major factor in the outcome. You just watch the team and you try to figure out, well, what can they do to get better? Rebounding's not going to be a strength. They don't have a post player. They're not great defensively. I wonder, putting all that aside, in those late-game moments, are they missing what I would call a true point guard? They have good ball handlers, but they don't have that individual that can put it on the deck, create for teammates, kind of like, like Wesley did for the Fighting Irish. I just wonder, do they miss a true point guard? They have a bunch of two and three guards. I know Mike doesn't look at the number system like that. But besides all their other deficiencies that continue to pop up, I, I just wonder if they're really missing that point guard that could stir the drink and help out in those late-game situations. Syracuse shot 60% from the field. The Irish hit 15 threes. Wirtz and Hammond each hit four. But then that guy in the middle did damage again, just like in the first meeting. Jesse Edwards, 13 points, 15 rebounds. And the Irish are a 500 team at 9-9. Nine and 1-6 nine. One and six in the ACC. They will host Florida State tomorrow night at 7 o'clock here on WSBT Radio. Pre-game coverage will start at 6.30 following Budweiser's weekday sports beep. And our third of three hat trick topics for tonight's program. Missed opportunities for the Fighting Irish hockey team. Notre Dame at home Friday and Saturday against the team that is ranked number one in the Parawise rankings and the leaders in the Big Ten Conference, the Minnesota Golden Gophers, a Gopher team that beat the Irish in the Twin Cities earlier this year, 4-1 to one and 3 to nothing. Overall, Notre Dame played really, really well. When the two sides were at even strength, we really held our own very well against this extremely talented Gopher team. And on Friday, it looked like Notre Dame might steal one. Still in the offensive zone. Snuggerud lost it left corner. Pearson took it away. Hands it off to Trevor Janicki. Takes a shot from a tough angle. He scores! Oh, my goodness. A wrister, 17 feet from the goal, tough angle, barely in the left circle near the goal line. Trevor Janicki, let her rip, and the Minnesota native scores to give the Irish a 2-1 lead with 10.26 to go in the second. Now at the left point, 
Coster, right side, Lacombe, he scores on the one-timer from the top of the right circle. Jackson Lacombe has tied the game with 24.6 seconds remaining. Ryder Ralston, who has six goals on the year. He's a righty shot. He's got the puck at center. Skates all the way to the blue line left. He's along the boards. Now back toward the middle, between the circles. He shoots. He scores. A wrister over the glove of close. And it is 1-0 Notre Dame going to the bottom of the second. And Pitlick to keep this game alive. He's got the puck down the middle into his offensive zone. Weaves to the right wing, accelerates. He holds. He shoots. He is denied by the right pad of Ryan Bissell. And that's a Fighting Irish winner. Notre Dame wins the shootout 1-0. Notre Dame and Minnesota play to a 2-2 tie. So it was a 2-2 tie officially. The shootout is just for the extra point in the conference standings. Most importantly, the game ended in a 2-2 tie. The Irish played very well. Again, 5-on-5. Five five. Irish were very, very competitive. But unfortunately, Notre Dame does not have the finishing up and down their lineup the way that Minnesota does. Gophers came back and played a really solid game on Saturday, shutting out the Irish 3 to nothing. So Notre Dame was taking on the number one team of the Parawise, two games in their building, and they walk away with a loss and a tie. They fall back to 18 in the Parawise rankings. What really hurts is you're up 2-1 with 24 seconds left on Friday, and Jackson Lacombe scores to tie it. Again, Notre Dame was really good 5-on-5, five five, but they took seven penalties on Saturday. And when your penalty kill is 54th out of 60 teams, you cannot afford to take those penalties, especially against a Minnesota team that's top 10 in power play efficiency this year, the result, a loss and a tie, and Notre Dame is under 500. It is rare to see that in the Jeff Jackson era, 10, 11, and 3. And the Irish don't get a break this week. They'll take on the number three team in the Parawise on the road, the Penn State Nittany Lions. Those are the hat trick of topics to start tonight's program. A great weekend of NFL football, Irish basketball, and Irish hockey missed opportunities 28 minutes in front of six o'clock i'm darren pritchett when we come back a really outstanding notre dame baseball player for a couple of years here did some great things he has overcame adversity away from the field and now he is a chicago cub we'll talk trey mancini coming up next as sports beat continues on your home of the fighting irish and the nfl playoffs sports radio 960 wsbt at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. My name is Darren Pritchett. Welcome back to the program. We're going to mix in a little Major League Baseball conversation because a former Notre Dame star is going to play for a local team. It looks like possibly for two years. At least one. Sounds like there's an opt-out in this deal. But former Notre Dame first baseman, Trey Mancini is signing with the Chicago Cubs. 
Again, reportedly, a two-year deal might be an opt-out after the first year. Mancini will turn 31 years old in March. This former Notre Dame star came up with the Baltimore Orioles before being traded to the Houston Astros for the pennant chase in July. Mancini, for the year, hit 239 in between his stops in Baltimore and Houston with 18 homers, 63 RBI. The OPS a little low at 710. He struggled in the postseason. Mancini went one for 21 with eight strikeouts. But you go back to the World Series and the game clincher for Houston against the Phillies. He was inserted into the ball game for defensive purposes at first base, and he made one heck of a fielding play right on the first base bag to halt a Phillies rally. So even though the bat wasn't where he wanted it, his glove really helped the Astros win the World Series. Now let's remember Trey Mancini missed the 2020 season after being diagnosed with colon cancer. He won the 2021 Comeback Player of the Year Award. He took part in Home Run Derby during the 2021 campaign, which was just terrific to see. And it looks like Mancini is being brought in to possibly be a part of a platoon at first base. First base for the Chicago Cubs last year was, for the lack of a better word, pathetic. Frank Schwindel, there was a little run to him after they traded Anthony Rizzo to the Yankees, but Frank the Tank ran out of gas this year. Revis, Higgins were used there. It was a place that lacked any offensive punch on a really bad baseball team. So as the Cubs attempt to compete this year, it looks like the first base position, you'll have Eric Hosmer, who they signed recently, a left-handed bat. He would face the righties, and Trey Mancini, you would think, would be the first baseman when the Cubs face left-handed pitching. Now, Mancini can also help you in the outfield and obviously as a designated hitter. Now, the Cubs are going to pay Hosmer less than $800,000 this year because the San Diego Padres are required to pay the majority of his contract. This goes back to the Juan Soto deal, and Hosmer ended up in Boston. So the Padres will pay the three years, $39 million left on Hosmer's deal. So because of that, the Cubs could sign Hosmer for the major league minimum, hence only $800,000, which is extremely cheap. I mean, a ridiculously cheap amount of money to pay a starting player. Now, the positives with Hosmer, he doesn't strike out a whole lot. If you're tired of watching Cubs batters strike out, here's one guy that does do a really good job of putting the ball in play. But there are some negatives with Hosmer. There's probably a reason why nobody else put major dollars at Hosmer, and he took the minimum from the Cubs. He has not been the same player he was in Kansas City when he helped the Royals win the World Series title in 2015. He is known for hitting a lot of ground balls. In today's game where you want to elevate the baseball, home runs are at a premium right now in Major League Baseball. Hosmer is not going to hit you many home runs. Now he'll probably be able to hit some of those cheapies into the alleys at Wrigley Field where it's 368. So his home run numbers may go up a little bit. 
But Hosmer last year got off to a hot start with San Diego, and then he cooled off over his final 73 games of the year, hit 222 with a horrible OPS of 596. Here's another negative in regard to Hosmer. There's a misperception that he's a great defensive player. Defensively, the advanced metrics of his recent seasons have shown that Hosmer has some holes in his game. He's won four gold gloves, but over the last two seasons combined, he has produced minus nine defensive runs saved and minus two outs above average. That means anybody on your team, maybe even you sitting in the stands, you put yourself on the field, you're going to do better than Eric Hosmer. So you got Mancini and Hosmer likely as your platoon at first base. That probably will hold you over until one of two things. And it all centers around Matt Mervis, their 24-year-old first baseman who came out of nowhere and has become a prospect for the Cubs. Had a big Arizona Fall League season, was the MVP, had a massive season last year as he put up some big numbers at AA and AAA, hit 309, 36 homers, 119 RBI, and a 984 OPS. So Hosmer and Mancini, you would assume, are holding down the position until the Cubs feel like Mervis is ready. Or they see more Mervis to decide if he's going to be their everyday guy down the line. Once he gets a little more seasoning and likely will start the year at AAA Iowa. There's a lot of expectation that Mervis, a power-hitting left-handed bat, will be the guy eventually for the Cubs when they start truly ascending toward a playoff spot. Also guys like Brennan Davis, Pete Crow Armstrong, once they make it to the major league level, then the Cubs feel like they are going to be ready to roll. And I'm sure in that process they will add more starting pitching from outside of the organization that appears to be an area that will need a slight boost. They have some guys that are building and I think Justin Steele is a guy that's going to help this team for many years in the rotation. The lefty and former South Bend Cub, I thought, looked really good last year. Probably the walk totals are a little high, but I think Justin Steele is a part of this rotation even when they are ascending toward the postseason or possibly winning the National League Central. So Trey Mancini goes to the Cubs, the former Notre Dame star. It is a great fit for Trey Mancini, and I think the Cubs – Using him correctly, that is a guy that can be a profitable player for the Cubs. I have bigger hopes for Mancini than Hosmer. Hosmer has just not been the same guy for a few years. I just can't imagine the switch is going to flip all of a sudden back to a better Eric Hosmer. He has bounced around the last couple of years. But I think Mancini, used correctly, can be a really good player for the Chicago Cubs. And again, I think Mancini and Hosmer buy the Cubs a little more time to get Mervis ready. They were so horrible at first base last year, you just couldn't come into the season with the guys they had last year. In fact, P.J. Higgins, the former South Bend Cub in 2016, he recently signed with the Arizona Diamondbacks. So the Cubs lost one of their catchers slash part-time first basemen in P.J. Higgins. But I'm excited for Mancini. We'll get to see a lot of him now, the former Notre Dame star, playing with the Cubbies at Wrigley Field. 5.46 is our time. 
Twitter question of the day is coming up next on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. at WSBT on this Martin Luther King Day holiday. Darren Pritchett with you. We're broadcasting live on 960 AM WSBT, streaming live at WSBTradio.com and the WSBT radio app. Also a video feed on the Twitch app. Well, over the weekend, I threw out a Twitter question of the day because we did not have one on Friday due to the shortened show. So I asked this question over the weekend. How much Notre Dame basketball are you watching or listening to this winter? Your three choices, same as normal, less than normal, or more than normal. A distant third in the voting, 1.9% said they're actually watching more Notre Dame basketball than they normally do. Second place in the voting at 23.1%. These fans say they're watching the same amount that they usually do. And easily out in front with 75% of the vote. Fans are watching less Notre Dame basketball than normal. It has been a tough year, a frustrating year. After all the excitement of March Madness, the giddiness of winning that unbelievable overtime game, in Dayton against Rutgers that spilled over into St. Patrick's Day, then flying out west, beating Roll Tide Alabama. Then actually they should have beat Texas Tech, just couldn't close it out. And with high expectations at the start of the year, talking to the players, they were all about building on what they achieved last year. To see them 9-9, 1-6 in the ACC, again, had you told me that at the start of the year, I would have said no chance. Go read a book. Go watch a movie because there's no way this is going to happen. Well, unfortunately, it is reality. We thank you for voting. All Twitter questions of the day are posted on my Twitter account at 960SportsBeat. And earlier today, I posted this question in regard to the NFL postseason and tonight's super wild card matchup, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers hosting the Dallas Cowboys. Now, today's question focuses on the Cowboys because if you follow the National Football League, if you watch pregame shows, postgame shows, if you read stories on various NFL websites, you get a lot of Cowboys, 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 and oh yeah, the Cowboys. I'm a big NFL Network fan. Their NFL game day show, Rich Eisen, Steve Mariucci, Michael Irvin, Kurt Warner. I think it's great. It is by far the best pregame show. And even on a day in which there were three wild card games and two to recap from the day before, one out of every three segments was about the team playing tomorrow, the Dallas Cowboys. It does get a little much. I guess if you're a Cowboy fan, you love it. But that's why so many people, just like the Cowboys, they are put into focus despite being a team that has gone almost 30 years without a trip to the Super Bowl. 
So here is today's question. Again, you can find it right now on my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat. What is the most annoying part of the Dallas Cowboys? Your three choices. Number one, the owner, Jerry Jones, who gets interviewed after every game. And you see him all the time clapping up there in the owner's box. Choice number two, what I just talked about, the nonstop media coverage of the Cowboys. Or is it choice number three, Ah, those Cowboy fans. So what is the most annoying part of the Dallas Cowboys? Jerry Jones, nonstop media coverage, or the fans? My fiancé is a diehard New York Giants fan. All of her kids are Cowboy fans. I know, feel for her. She pointed out to me last night when I came up with the question, Maybe you should add choice D, all of the above. I go, if I add that, that's going to win 100% of the vote, and nobody else is going to vote for the other three individually. So I can't put all of the above. That would win in a landslide. So we'll narrow it down to Jerry Jones, media coverage, or fans. We'll see who comes out on top. I don't know which to vote for. probably go with the media coverage, but I'll be interested to see how you vote. We'll find out tomorrow when we pass along the results of our Twitter question of the day, and you can vote right now and throughout the day tomorrow on my Twitter account at 960SportsBeat. NFL division around coming up next weekend right here on WSBT Radio. We'll have the four games for you. The first will likely be joined in progress due to Notre Dame basketball playing early Saturday afternoon. But we'll join in progress the first game of the divisional round weekend, Saturday at 4.30. It will be the AFC South champion, Jacksonville Jaguars, the four seed, the amazing comeback to knock off the Chargers, down 27-0. The Jags won 31-30. They'll go to Arrowhead, where they were blown out earlier this year by the AFC West champion and top-seeded. Kansas City Chiefs. The second game on Saturday, I can almost smell an upset here. I personally love the Giants plus seven and a half right now. Saturday, 8-15, it's an NFC East matchup. The sixth seed, the New York Giants, visiting the one seed, the Philadelphia Eagles. Then on Sunday, doubleheader action right here on WSBT Radio. We need a little theme music. There we go. Sunday at 3 o'clock, the three seed, the Cincinnati Bengals. The champions of the AFC North will take on the champions of the AFC East. The two seed, the Buffalo Bills. Of course, this will be an emotional game. Their Monday night game a couple of weeks ago halted and never finished due to the injury to Hamlin, who is still doing better and better, which is just absolutely amazing. DeMar is back home, and who knows, he may show up in Orchard Park for this game. But Bengals and Bills Sunday at 3 o'clock, and then the nightcap Sunday at 6.30. The winner of tonight's game, the five-seed, the Dallas Cowboys, or the four-seed, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, visiting the two-seed, the San Francisco 49ers. At the start of the year, my Super Bowl pick was Bills over the 49ers 31-30. I'm not confident the Bills are going to get there. The way they 
looked at times against Miami. Makes me a little nervous, but we always have to remember, don't always just think about the last game. Look at the entire body of work. New opponent, new matchup. The Bengals could have three starting offensive linemen out for this game against Buffalo. That is a major storyline to watch. And how about Purdy, the quarterback for the 49ers? little shaky in the first half, came on strong in the second half as San Francisco routed Seattle. So that is the divisional round weekend schedule. Budweiser's weekday sports beat being brought to you by Budweiser, by Barnaby's, the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, Midland Engineering Company beginning their second century of quality roofing experience, the Mishawaka Education Foundation granting a better future, Pet Refuge urging you to adopt, own, shop, or new beginnings, have happy endings, and our sports update sponsor is Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Contact Joel Lading in Mishawaka or John Shaver in South Bend. We have reached the top of the hour, the conclusion of the first hour, second hour of the program. We are going to focus on Notre Dame basketball. Our My Five question of the day, who are the top five assistant coaches on Marcus Freeman's staff? A look back at the Big Ten basketball weekend and today's thriller in East Lansing as Purdue and Michigan State went down to the wire. And also we have our Sizzler segment. We'll hand out some sports wagering tips coming up at the end of the hour here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Budweiser's weekday sports beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Wesley off balance shot, no good. Atkinson put back. It's good. That's it. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Notre Dame in double overtime. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett. Happy St. Patrick's Day, baby. This is Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat, broadcasting live on 960 AM WSBT. We are streaming live at WSBTradio.com. Also on the free WSBT Radio app. Video feed going right now on the Twitch app. 12 minutes after 6 o'clock. We're on the air until 7 o'clock tonight. At 7.30, we go to Westwood One's coverage of the NFL playoffs tonight. We will bring you the fifth-seeded Dallas Cowboys taking on the four seed, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Robert Hainsey, the former Notre Dame offensive lineman who has been filling in at the center position. Their all-pro Jensen has been out with an injury since the preseason, I think it was, or week one. can't remember which it was. But apparently he is back this week, so Hainsey likely will not start tonight. Was dealing with a hamstring injury anyway, so it looks like Hainsey is out. How about Aaron Banks and Mike McGlinchey starting on the offensive line? for the San Francisco 49ers. We'll see Kyle Rudolph tonight playing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Had a touchdown catch against the Falcons in the last regular season game. It was Michigan to Notre Dame as Tom Brady found the old Irish star Kyle Rudolph. It looks like Jim Harbaugh is staying as the head coach of the Wolverines. I don't think this is really a big surprise. Here's the funny part. Santa Ono is the president of Michigan. He tweeted this out within the hour. I just got off the phone with Coach Harbaugh, 
And Jim shared with me the great news that he is going to remain as the head coach of the Michigan Wolverines. Here's the part. This is fantastic news that I have communicated to our athletic director, Ward Manuel. So Ward has totally been pushed out of these conversations. Harbaugh has tweeted out, I love the relationships that I have at Michigan. Coaches, staff, families, administration, President Santa Ono, and especially the players and their families. My heart is at the University of Michigan. I once heard a wise man say, don't try to out happy happy, go blue. Harbaugh, of course, does not mention the AD either. When the president says that, I think if I'm Ward, I'm probably updating my resume. President had to get involved because the AD and the head coach couldn't come together on a contract extension, apparently. So I guess the president will let the AD know that Harbaugh's staying. What a bizarre, bizarre situation. All right, we played a basketball bumper coming out of the break for a reason because we're going to spend a little time talking Fighting Irish Hoops. Notre Dame back in action tomorrow at home against the Florida State Seminoles, who are just five and 13 on the year, but unfortunately one of those victories was against the Fighting Irish back in December down in Tallahassee by a single point. For Notre Dame, it looked like they were going to win their second consecutive game. They had Syracuse on the ropes at the old Carrier Dome on Saturday. Now remember the Irish figured out a way to come from seven down last Tuesday to force overtime against Georgia Tech and then walk away with the victory. So a chance to win two straight. Irish were in great position. They were shooting the ball well. Even though Syracuse was shooting it pretty good, the Irish were in a good spot up 59-47 with 11.51 to go. A media timeout was taken there. From that point on, Syracuse outscored the Irish 31-14. to And which has become, unfortunately, something we're used to Notre Dame struggling down the stretch to make the proper plays to win the game. Now, they did it against Georgia Tech. They did it all last year on their way to making the NCAA tournament and making it to the round of 32. Hey, there's no doubt they missed Blake Wesley, the South Bend Riley product. Now in the NBA, first-round pick of the San Antonio Spurs. By the way, he had a massive dunk in the G League whatever that minor league is called now for San Antonio's team. Wow, it was impressive. You can find it on social media. It was a dandy. But Marcus Hammond hit a three with just over two minutes to go. The Irish were up by two. But Notre Dame, unfortunately, back-to-back turnovers, including a shot clock violation, an older team. You just you can't accept that happening. And then on top of all that, Notre Dame missed four consecutive field goals. Finally, Nate Lashevsky broke that trend by scoring a layup with seven seconds left. It was 76-73 Syracuse. At that point, they would add two more points, and Notre Dame goes down at the hands of Syracuse, 78-73. Against that zone, Syracuse dares you to knock down 10, 12, 15 threes. And Notre Dame said, you know what? Okay, we've got shooters. Let's knock down some shots. And the Irish knocked down a season-high 15 threes. Wirtz and Hammond were even knocking down shots. They each hit four trifectas 
in the ballgame. So a big, big boost for the offense, but Notre Dame can't play defense consistently. Syracuse shot 60% from the field. Jesse Edwards, second straight double-double against the Irish. He had 13 points and 15 rebounds. And Notre Dame's 1-6 in the ACC. Fighting Irish head coach Mike Bray. Well, of course, on the road, there's no Notre Dame media there, so he got one question in the postgame. Coach, just thoughts, you, you left for 26 minutes of that game, and they yeah. just kind of fought back at the very end. Just thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I'm just, I feel for our guys. You know, we made 15 threes. Um, you know, we had 21 assists. We were really good, but um, I think an area that hurts us is when we really have to defend to win a game and stick our chest in there. At least on the road, we haven't been able to do that. So, uh, um, disappointed because we played fearlessly. It's maybe the best zone offense we've ever run, um, but we did have some looks there, uh, really good ones. Dane, Nate, a couple, and we, we didn't make those the last six or seven minutes. So uh, credit, to, credit to Syracuse, tough kids. Syracuse sweeps the season series against the Irish, winning by a point in South Bend back on December 3rd and a five-point victory over the Irish Saturday night and Notre Dame just unfortunately more buried right now in the ACC we can't even talk about NCAA tournament possibilities that is almost like from earth to the moon from happening unfortunately there's just not much on the resume except beating Michigan State and I think Michigan State might be oh not in the elite group in the Big Ten they're in the second tier it's a good solid win but it's not going to boost them like the Kentucky win did last year. And it's just really tough to watch, honestly. This is a group that we have watched grow up through the years. These old guys, Lashevsky, good one. Ryan comes in as a transfer, as does Wirtz. And to see them have the great success last year was extremely rewarding. They wanted to get back to the tournament. They achieved their goal. I mean, a 15-win ACC regular season barely got Notre Dame into the tournament, but they got in. They picked up a couple of victories and had a great run, and it just felt like there was a lot of momentum. Then we read about in the offseason, Notre Dame trying to add that next Paul Atkinson, the grad transfer big guy. Didn't work out. The Irish just don't have that post game to rely on at times. Sometimes it was always good to get a touch for Atkinson. It was a good passer, kick it outside. Notre Dame knocks down a three. Wesley penetrating and kicking, setting up his teammates. You know, Atkinson and Wesley really helped these guys be better. And now this year they are just unfortunately offensively. They have some droughts more than we're used to. And, of course, defensively, Mike Bray says it all the time. We just are unable to consistently put a chest into somebody. And allowing Syracuse to shoot 60%, it's almost – a miracle. They only lost by five, but when you hit 15 threes, you should be close to winning the ballgame. So unfortunately, no good news to report from this Irish squad trying to get it going, but they're just stuck in neutral at this particular time. About 4,900 showed up for the Georgia Tech game last Tuesday. We'll see how many show up for the Irish and the Seminoles tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. Pre-game coverage here on WSBT Radio starts at 6.30, so we'll wrap up Sportsbeat early. Game time is 7 o'clock with Tony Simeone on the call. 
The Irish have lost to Florida State this year. Another close one. It was 73-72 Florida State back on December the 21st. That's a look at the Irish basketball team and their loss to Syracuse. Coming up in a moment, we'll return to Notre Dame football with the My 5 question of the day. Who are the top five coaches on Notre Dame head coach Marcus Freeman's staff based on what we saw this year? Also still to come, a recap of the Big Ten basketball weekend, including today, Purdue on the road, a one-point win over Michigan State, and there's a guy that stands 7-3 that put Purdue in the win column. I mean, he put the team on his shoulders and won this game. So we'll recap the Boilermakers and more coming up in that Big Ten recap. And also our Sizzler segment is on the way as Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues on your home of the Irish and the NFL playoffs. Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Listen to Budweiser's weekday sports beat live or on demand with our free WSBT radio app. Just search WSBT radio in the app store and Google play. Now back to local sports talk on sports beat with your host, Darren Pritchett. It is 629 in your home of the fighting Irish sports radio, 960 WSBT. Hope you're having a terrific Monday. We've got NFL playoff action coming up. 7.30, the coverage begins from Westwood One. The Dallas Cowboys visiting the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I know the spread started today. Cowboys favored by two and a half. This afternoon, the spread moved to Dallas minus three. And as I look at the spread right now, it is still... Dallas minus three at Tampa Bay. The Cowboys are one and four on natural grass so far this year. Could be a lean toward a pick later in the show. In fact, I'm switching my pick from Friday's show, so we'll get to that coming up in just a little bit. Well, Big Ten basketball, Purdue had a successful week last week. They knocked off Nebraska at Mackey Arena 73-55. How about Fletcher Lawyer? He is the freshman from Fort Wayne Homestead. 27 points in that win over Nebraska. 8 of 15 from the field. 6 of 12 from the three-point line. Entering today's game, his last two games, he was 14 of 29. 10 of 19 from the three-point line. 6 of 8 from the free-throw line for 34 points. And you know what? He was awfully good on the road in a hostile environment today. Lawyer, 5 of 9, 17 points in the big win over Michigan State, 64-63. Pretty good high school basketball team over there at Homestead. As two years ago, you had Fletcher Lawyer as a junior and current Illinois guard and then senior Luke Goody on that Homestead basketball team. Zach Eady didn't have to do as much in that win over Nebraska, 12 points, 13 rebounds as Nebraska just didn't have enough oomph to slow down that Boilermaker offense. Purdue was plus 19 in the rebound column. And today the Boilermakers got a huge win over Michigan State, 64-63. Zach Eady put the team on his back in this ballgame as he put up 32 points and 17 rebounds, and Eady hit the 
go-ahead shot in the lane with two seconds left. Michigan State threw the ball down the floor, got tipped out of bounds by a Boilermaker. They had 1.8 seconds to work with. Spartans got a three-pointer away that came up short. And Purdue beat Michigan State 64-63. to Again, Lawyer was really, really good for the Boilermakers today. Braden Smith from Westfield, Indiana. He had a tough day today on the road as he committed four turnovers and scored four points with six assists in the ballgame. Also picked up four personal fouls. But Edie and Lawyer combined for 49 of the 64 Boilermaker points. Purdue only got three points off their bench today as Gillis had those three points. Otherwise, Boilermakers withstood a good run for Michigan State. Purdue was up 24-11 in the first half. Michigan State cut it to two at halftime. And awfully good performance by the senior, Tyson Walker. He put up 30 today against Purdue. 12 of 23 from the field. Hit four three-pointers, but it wasn't enough. Purdue is now 6-1 in the Big Ten. And they have a one-game lead over the only team that has beaten them this year, the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. Rutgers is 5-2. and two. Then you've got Michigan very quietly in third place at 4-2. and two. Michigan State and Iowa are now tied for fourth place at 4-3. and three. Purdue, Illinois, Northwestern, Wisconsin are all 3-3. Three and three. And you look way down the line in a tie for 11th place, you've got Indiana, and Ohio State. Both of those teams are 2-4, and four, but Indiana showed some life at home over the weekend as they drilled a nationally ranked Wisconsin team 63-45. to 45. The big story is the fact that Indiana had allowed 86 points per game in their last three. 86! Only 45 against Wisconsin. There's probably a yeah, but Wisconsin, slower tempo, Their leading score is out with an injury, so it's probably not a surprise they couldn't score 60, but hey, credit to IU, only giving up 45. Badgers scored 45 points, hitting only five of 24 three-point shots. Normally, the three-point shot is a big part of their offense. It was not in Bloomington over the weekend, and IU put away the Badgers with an 18-2 run early in the second half, taking the drama out of the ballgame. Trace Jackson Davis, 18 points and 12 rebounds. So, Indiana gets the much-needed victory. Their defense improved. They're now 11-6, 2-4 in the Big Ten, and they will play again on Thursday in Shambana against the Fighting Illini of Illinois. Illinois outlasted Michigan State on Friday, 75-66, outscoring Sparty 42-29 in the second half. In that ball game, Sparty went 0-7 from the three-point line. They weren't even trying to shoot threes. They were just pounding the ball inside on Illinois today against Purdue. Michigan State went 6-19 of for 31% with Walker hitting four of those three-point shots. And you look down the line when Purdue and Illinois play, if there's one team that might have that big guy that can at least bump around Zach Eady a little bit, it used to be Kofi Coburn at Illinois. Now it is Dane Danger, the transfer from Baylor, 6'9", 250 pounds, physical with really quick feet, 20 points and seven rebounds for Danger 
against Michigan State. T.J. Shannon had 17 points and five rebounds. The other big game from last week, Rutgers winning at home in overtime over Ohio State, 68-64. So that's a look at what's happening right now in the Big Ten. The Boilermakers are still in control of the Big Ten race, a record of 6-1. and one. Rutgers on their heels at 5-2. and two. They are for real. That is a well-constructed basketball team for what Rutgers wants to be. Good half-court offense, strong on the defensive end. They make you work for everything. So Rutgers definitely one of the better teams in the Big Ten Conference. Iowa's coming on. They're up to 4-3. and three. They look like they were in a world of trouble, winless in the league. Indiana had them down by 20 in Iowa City before they rallied to win that game. And now all of a sudden Iowa is on a bit of a run very quietly up to 4-3. and three in the Big Ten Conference. 6.36 is our time. The My Five is next. It centers around Notre Dame football. Stick around. More sports beat to come on your home of the Irish in the NFL playoffs. Sports Radio 960 WS. We're going to win. Don't want to be a loser. Going to win. The man in the end zone. Touchdown, Notre Dame. Lorenzo Styles on the post route. Gives to Esme. Leaps into the end zone. Touchdown, Notre Dame. Ball caught. Touchdown. What a catch by Jaden Thomas. Hands off the dig. There he goes. 20, 15, 10. Touchdown, Notre Dame. We're going all the way. We're going to win. Notre Dame football coverage continues now from Sports Radio 960 AM WSPT. Here come the Irish. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett. Well, Friday morning at 8.30, make sure you visit restaurantoftheweek.com so you can get two gift certificates to JoJo's Pretzels, each worth $25 for the price of one. JoJo's Pretzels was founded in 1989 by Levi and Joanna King, who are still the proud owners today. Golden brown and crispy on the outside, soft and airy inside, JoJo's pretzels come in a variety of flavors from our well-loved original to garlic ranch and another crowd favorite, cinnamon and sugar pretzels dipped in homemade icing. Oh my goodness. With locations in Goshen and Shipshawana, JoJo's has served delicious pretzels to Michiana for over 30 years. Come do the twist. At JoJo's Pretzels, you're bound to discover you're bound to discover a flavor that you love. Score two gift certificates for the price of one this Friday morning at 8:30 by visiting restaurantoftheweek.com. 6:43 on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. One question, five answers. This is the My Five Questions of the Day on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Well, today's My Five Question of the Day focuses on fighting Irish football and a look back at the 2022 campaign, which ended with that bowl victory over South Carolina. So, since the dust has settled on the season, who were the top five assistant coaches on Notre Dame head coach Marcus Freeman's staff. Ladies and gentlemen, this is number five. We start with wide receiver coach Chancey Stuckey. Now, I am combining recruiting and development in this ranking. 
And Stuckey had an amazing recruiting cycle, bringing in high-caliber wide receivers that should impact this program over the next couple of years. Hopefully a couple will impact the roster this year. Now he took over a wide receiver room that did not have the depth that necessarily you were looking for. He had to work with a young freshman in Tobias Merriweather. He had to groom veteran players like Braden Lindsey, Matt Salerno, brought Jaden Thomas up, I think, another level in his quality of play. So when you add in recruiting and development, I'm going to put Chansey Stuckey number five on my list. Four. Number four, let's go with Dylan McCullough, the running backs coach. Boy, you talk about a good running back room. He had a lot of good horses to work with, and some we probably have not seen as much as you will in the coming year or two. But you got your top three guys even coming back this year. You're in really good shape with Audric Estime, Logan Diggs, Chris Tyree. Running back development has been really, really good so far under McCullough. And the recruiting, which of course never stops, McCullough on top of that as well. Okay, okay. Uh, Number three. Number three, I'm going to go with cornerback coach Mike Mickens. And I think Mickens' rise in this ranking centers around freshman Benjamin Morrison. How about that? Really a player not on anyone's radar in Notre Dame's recruiting cycle. There were other players that were, I think we thought, ahead of Morrison, but they may have been, but Morrison jumped over all of them, became a starter. Six interceptions on the year, three against Boston College. I mean, you talk about a quick transition to the college level playing high-caliber football. Let's give Mike Mickens a lot of credit for that. Getting Morrison ready to go, Cam Hart, Tariq Bracey. Corners had a good season here in South Bend. Number two. Number two, we're going to go with special teams coach, and that is Brian Mason, considered the best special teams coach in the country last year, and why not? Notre Dame led the country in block kicks, which can be punts or field goals. Notre Dame had seven, all of those punt blocks. What, Isaiah Foskey had two and one quarter? Remarkable. Notre Dame was very sound on special teams this year and definitely an upgrade from Brian Polian to Brian Mason. Great hire by Marcus Freeman. And special teams, for once, wasn't just, let's hope they break even. It was a plus for the Irish in 2022. Number one. And finally, the top assistant coach on Marcus Freeman's staff this year. Got to go with this guy, and that is Harry Heastan. Great to have him back here in South Bend. Maybe there's some all-time achievement going into this, but you look at how the offensive line got better as the year went on. Harry's as good as it gets in teaching the fundamentals of the game at one of the toughest spots along the offensive line. And just like Brian Mason, a fantastic hire by Marcus Freeman, or I guess in this case for Notre Dame, a rehire, bringing the professor back to South Bend, Harry Heastan. So the top five assistant coaches on Marcus Freeman's staff this year, Stuckey five, McCullough four, Mickens three, Mason two, and Heastan numero uno. 648. 
Sports Wagering. We go into Sizzler next on your home of the Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Show me the money. We go with Sizzler. We go with Sizzler. Six fifty on your home of the Fighting Irish in the NFL playoffs. Sports Radio nine sixty WSBT. That theme means it's time to talk sports wagering here on WSBT Radio. We go back to Friday's program. I made six picks involving the NFL playoffs. The first five have been completed. The sixth is tonight, and I'm changing my pick on tonight's action. We'll get to that in a second, but let's recap what happened this weekend and the choices I made on Friday. We started with a matchup. Between teams from the NFC West, the Seattle Seahawks visiting the San Francisco 49ers. It sounded like the weather was going to be bad. I thought it was going to be a game in which the Seahawks were going to have to run the ball a little more. Weather wasn't bad at all. And Metcalf had a huge game with a couple of touchdown catches, over 100 receiving yards. I took the Niners minus 9.5 against the Seahawks at minus 110. San Francisco pulled away, fortunately, in the second half. And will take the win. Seahawks fell to the 49ers, 41-23. Niners won by 18 to win the wager. They had to win by 10. Mission accomplished. The second sizzler choice from Friday, the Jaguars plus one and a half against the Chargers at minus 105. It was 27 to nothing. Chargers. Did I have hope? No, not really. In fact, I turned it off and I got a text from my son just in capital letters, Jaguars with exclamation points. I checked the score and of course I knew it all along. No problem. Jaguars plus one and a half. In fact, you can keep the one and a half. We're all good. Jaguars rallied to win 31 to 30. We'll take it. Well, the Bills were up 17-0 on Miami. It looked like Bills minus 13.5 was going to be a good choice at minus 110. Turned out to be a bad choice. Dolphins took advantage of Buffalo mistakes. The Bills won by three. We needed them to win by 14, and it was not even close. The fourth suggestion from Friday went back and forth. I went with the Vikings at home minus three. Saw in the first quarter, bad choice. Giants won. 31-24. So I needed a win on Sunday to salvage something. I took the Ravens plus 9.5 at the Bengals at minus 110. And despite the fiasco at the goal line in which the Bengals recovered a fumble, went 98 yards the other way, the Bengals won, but we covered, fortunately. The Bengals only won by 7. We had the Ravens plus 9.5 at the time of the show. I think it got down to 8 by the time kickoff took place. But if the Ravens would have scored that touchdown, they're up seven. It feels like there's no way you could have lost the wager, plus nine and a half. But the ball going the other way for seven opened the door for a backdoor cover by the Bengals, but it didn't happen, so we'll take the win. So I'm 3-2 and so far on the NFL weekend, and I'm changing my pick from Friday's show. I'm going to the other side. On Friday, I took the Cowboys minus two and a half. Scratch that. I'm going to now go with the Buccaneers plus three. 
Just the fact that Jensen comes back at center for Tampa Bay is big. The Cowboys are 1-4 on grass this year. They average under 30 points per game on turf. They're well over 30 points per game. The fact that Dak Prescott has coughed up the football so much lately. And Tom Brady's on the other side. I know the Buccaneers can't run the football. It's probably going to be a game in which Brady throws 50 times. But I'm going to change my pick, which is usually the wrong thing to do. But I'm going Buccaneers now plus three against Dallas. So that's a change from Friday's show. Tampa Bay plus three. Now let's go with the four regularly scheduled picks for tonight's show. We will start with Tom Brady, a player prop. I just talked about Tampa Bay does not have a running game. Tom Brady gets rid of the football quicker than anybody in the NFL, which hopefully offsets Micah Parsons getting after him on the pass rush. I'm going to go Tom Brady over 42.5 passing attempts at minus 110. Brady has topped 42.5 passing attempts in six straight starts and 11 of his last 13. During this stretch, he is averaging 47 attempts a ball game. And if they're behind, you know he's going to go over the number. We'll go Tom Brady over 42.5 passing attempts, which is a lot, but... Again, Tampa Bay doesn't run it. I'm going Dak Prescott, Cowboys quarterback, over 238.5 passing yards at minus 110. Eight of the last 10 games Prescott has played, he's gone over that number. We'll ride that trend tonight. Over under 45.5 points, I'm going over that number. If that happens, all six wildcard games are over. That has not happened since 2009 that the over swept the weekend. So I'll go Tampa Bay, Dallas over 45 and a half points at minus 110. And my fourth pick, I posted on Twitter earlier this afternoon to make it official, but I took Michigan State at home plus four against Purdue at minus 110. That hit as the Boilermakers won the game by a point, but Michigan State, we had them with four points, so we'll take the victory there. So 1-0 going into the Monday night action tonight. Budweiser's weekday sports beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT is being brought to you by Budweiser, by Barnaby's, the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, Midland Engineering Company beginning their second century of quality roofing experience, the Mishawaka Education Foundation granting a better future, Pet Refuge urging you to adopt, don't shop, or new beginnings have happy endings, and by our sports update sponsor, Edward Jones, making sense of investing, contact Leo E. Primer in South Bend or Jim Hibschman in Mishawaka. My name is Darren Pritchett. Enjoy your evening. We'll be back tomorrow from 5 until 6.30. NFL football starts in 30 minutes here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT South Bend.
Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 